introduce myself earlier. My name is Becky Zukauskas. I am the staff and worship coordinator here. Um, and I'm also a foster mom. And so May is uh, Foster Care Awareness Month, so we've been taking um, some time to share a little bit. This morning, I'd like to share a little bit of the story of Antioch Brighton as we have engaged with um, foster care, a little bit of the story from the past decade. It's something that this whole community has, has typically uh, wrapped around and been involved in. It's been done in some ways that break the mold, and it's something that God uh, continues to invite people into even after they move on. Uh, from this, uh, when they move away from Boston or move from this particular congregation. I want to share a couple of memories with you. The first one is uh, from 2012. My husband was playing on the church softball team. Raise your hand if you've played on our softball team. Um, I was out there uh, to watch a game. Uh, I was pregnant at the time with our first child, and I sat next to a, a woman I didn't yet know. She was a mom of three, her husband, Brad. Uh, was also playing um, softball. This is Joyce Nicholas. Um, she and her husband that morning had attended something called MAP training, which is the first time I'd heard of it. This is actually a class uh, through the state of Massachusetts um, if you'd like to be licensed to serve as foster or adoptive parents or if you'd like to do that. Now, at the time, I was very much in my own world of my life of becoming a mom for the first time, um, but getting to know this family and hearing about the choices they were making um, did remind me of like, oh yeah, there are other children out there. There are other you know avenues uh, to care for kids. Um, and so uh, that, that was, I just appreciate their influence in my life. They actually, their first placement, they, played, they cared for a little girl um, from birth up until she was two years old when she was finally placed with her biological father for the first time. It's a, a pretty unusual story. Um, uh, it's complicated, there's painful um, pieces ab about it, um, but they never really made a big deal about what they were doing, but they did let people in to their story. They allowed us to serve them. Um, during that two years, we could bring meals to them. We, we had opportunities to pray for them, um, to rejoice and to mourn at different points along that story. Um, that was even before we had an official ministry called Mosaic, uh, before we had official what we call wraparound care teams, which are um, folks who provide intentional support, encouragement, prayer, practical help uh, to foster families. That's how the Nicholas family just lived their life, um, invited people in. Um, and it was a, a huge influence on me. I can fast forward now to the fall of 2018. At this point, I'm now a mom of two. And my husband and I have just decided we're going to sign up for this MAP training course ourselves. My husband has been in grad school, um, and we have at this time just about no extra money. Um, but I sent one email to a couple people in the church um, looking for babysitters to help us with the 30 hours of, of classes that we have to go through. And I mean, like, I feel like it was within half an hour I had... Um, free babysitting for all of those 30 hours of class, which I was really, really grateful for um, that support. But even more amazing than that is I found out that not less than four different families that fall had signed up to do the MAP training. Um, so this wasn't something that we as a church had recruited for or like internally coordinated. This was the Holy Spirit initiating with Michael and Marta Helfartel. Um, and with Matt and Elena Spatzel, who they were actually in the same class in Hyde Park. 
And um, with Madeline and Park, they were in the same class that Andrew and I had signed up for in Roxbury, which is just amazing um, what the Lord was doing and that we got to walk together through that process. Um, but even am- amongst us, these, these four families, there wasn't one single path um, or like ideal timing or route to do foster care. Um, there have been married couples that didn't have um, biological children. We've had single young adults who've also gone through this training and served in different roles related to foster care. Um, these are folks who haven't let the expectations of like what a typical family journey looks like. It hasn't, they haven't let that rule them out um, from serving in this way. Um, and I'm so proud, so proud of that. Um, also, there's probably 10 to 15 other individuals and families um, across our other, we have four other churches um, in, in the Boston area, other Antioch churches, um, folks there or folks who have moved away from Boston who've gone on to adopt or um, do foster care. Um, it's just something that God stirs up in people's heart and, th- and they carry with them wherever they go. Um, and we've had, I think, probably dozens more, many of you actually, who have come alongside these families in our wraparound care teams. Um, that's something I'm just very proud to be part of uh, this family. Uh, very grateful um, for the way they've done this. This really has, has been God's story in our midst. He's leading us to be a church that partners with him in family restoration. So no matter our, our stage of life or situation, there, there is an opportunity for everyone to get involved. Um, so actually today, after the service, we have an interest meeting. I'd like to invite um, all of you to, if you'd like to get a little information on how to do that, even if you just have a few hours a month that you want to, you know, volunteer with one of our wraparound care teams, one of our families, um, or we have ways to get more directly involved with DCF or the court system if that's something that interests you. Um, so hope to see you after the service in the cafeteria. We'll be um, downstairs meeting there. Uh, but would you just join me in prayer um, that God's work in our midst would continue? Father, we, we thank you. It is your heart uh, to care for every child. It is your heart to see uh, broken families restored. And you are the one who is initiating that work. And you are the one who's calling us into it. So so would you continue to, to do that? Um, Father, this is these are hard places. These are hard things. But would you strengthen us for the task? And would you uh, tune our ear to hear your invitation? Um, whatever it is for each person, um, that we would just be people who hear and obey in a way that lives are changed um, and people are really well cared for to your glory, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Becky. I've really enjoyed getting to uh, hear each Sunday a little bit more about the foster ministry thing that's happening. It's fascinating to me to think about all that God has given us to give away, right? We have money to give away. We have time to give away. We have energy, emotion to give away. But one thing we actually have to give away in the kingdom of God is the safety and love in our household. It's actually something that God has given us sometimes to give away. So I'm thankful for the inheritance this church has in foster care ministry. All right, so my name is John Lux. I have the privilege of serving here as the associate pastor. Can I just say welcome to Antioch Community Church Brighton today? Uh, We are in a series preaching on this idea of the fear of man, okay? And uh, I I joked about this last week, two weeks ago. Uh, Initially, we were going to call this series Everyone is Afraid of Other People, uh, and Courtney, our communications director, reminded me that that's actually a curse. Let's not call our series that. 
Uh, and so we're calling it unashamed, right? Because the opposite of being afraid of others, other people's opinions all the time is to live a life unashamed. And I think even more the opposite is to be proud of Jesus. Amen. All right. So we're getting free from the fear of man and stepping into a life that lives unashamed about who Jesus is and what he has to offer in the world. Um, last week, we heard from our senior pastor, Mark Buckner, who preached out of uh, John, uh, sorry, out of uh, Mark 8, 35, and he preached out of uh, Luke 9, 20, uh, 26, uh, talking about this, this, this thing that Jesus says over and over in different ways. Um, uh, let's actually just bring it up here. Luke 9, 26. It says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Wow. Right? So why are we calling this series Unashamed? Well, I'm going to give I'm gonna give three meanings, right? And they come from this slide. Right? The first one up here, Jesus talks about it. Whoever is ashamed of me. Whoever is ashamed of me in my words, right? And the first kind of shame we're trying to deal with in the Unashamed series is that in, in the world that we exist in, it is so easy to feel ashamed of following Jesus or to feel ashamed of the things that Jesus said um, because they conflict with the culture that we're in, right? So that's, we're, we're learning to be unashamed. But here's the second piece of this, right? The Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Now, that's not Jesus being like this mean guy who's playing the shame game on you. But like, let me break down what this actually does feel like. If you had a mom who picked you up at school in middle school, this is what we're talking about. You're there. You're with everybody. And then your mom comes in and you're like, hey, Jimmy, it's me. And what is that thing that you do, right? You're not like, that's my mom, yeah. You're in middle school. You're insecure all the time. So you're like, oh, uh, see you later, guys. I don't know who that is. And you're just going to like sneak out the door, right? Did you honor your mom when she picked you up in middle school? Maybe you actually did, but not in my metaphor, all right? That's what Jesus is talking about. When he returns to the earth with the glory of his father and the heavenly angels, are we going to act like that middle school kid who's ashamed of his mom when, when she comes to pick him up? Right? That's the kind of shame that we're talking about in this passage. So unashamed is number one, us living unashamed of Jesus. Number two, it's when Jesus returns to the earth, he's going to find us talking about him when he walks in the door. He's going to find us living and honoring him, living a life proud of being associated with him. Whether or not our middle school friends think it's cool. Y'all that are in middle school, I, I feel you. Okay. <laughs> All right. And the third thing that we're unashamed about, the third thing that we're unashamed about, man, this is not a church. God help us. This is not a church where we motivate each other by shaming each other and stuff. Amen. We need a motivation for obeying Jesus that has more to do it than this like weird thing of like, if I were a better Christian, then I would be doing da 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 da. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't think that. Cut it out. Don't even step in that. Okay? If I were a better Christian, I would be doing this. That's not the kind of thing that Jesus is speaking into your life. Jesus already knows what kind of Christian you are and what kind of Christian you can become. All right? It's not about this should 
being levied on you, right, that makes you feel ashamed of what you're not living up to right now. The promise of Jesus is that beginning in this instant right now, he is active and present to take us exactly where he wants to go. Amen? And so unashamed is that we're walking out this journey of learning how to live boldly for Jesus without feeling ashamed of where we are right now and feeling like we need to move forward because of shame. We're going to move forward because of joy. Amen? And God's going to set us free. All right. Now, another way to say that uh, is that instead of moving forward in shame, we're just like going to be honest about where we're at, we're at with God, right? That for many of us, this idea of like talking about Jesus or living a, a, a public Christian life, something that makes us profoundly uncomfortable. And in the course of this sermon today, I'm going to make a series of claims about God's desire and willingness to help us do this well. But that's not going to work if we can't come and admit that we need his help. Amen? So part of being unashamed is that we're unashamed of our need for Jesus to help us do this. Okay? Um, unashamed of saying, Jesus, I'm in. Jesus, I agree. Jesus, you are worthy. Jesus, I do want to talk about you when you show up at the middle school. But I am afraid. My fear is real to me, and I need you to help me. Amen? All right. And speaking of Jesus, I want to I try and frame this around Jesus in a way that's a little bit different than our typical preaching here. Um, <laughs> okay. So I, I, I gave us at least one metaphorical picture already, which is like the mom showing up at the, this is the parable of the middle school, you know, where the mom comes to pick up the kids, right? Um, but like, let's be even more specific and imagine Jesus showing up in our circle of relationships, our social circle, or Jesus showing up at our family gathering with all of our aunts and uncles there, or Jesus showing up at your workplace, you know, you clock in at 9 a.m. or like you log into Zoom or whatever it is, and just, oh, like, there's one more square on the screen. What is that? Jesus, oh, hope he turns his video on. Who's that? You know, like, what's going on? Like, Jesus shows up in your workplace, right? Because if we're admitting that we need help from God because we're afraid, what's the kind of help we believe Jesus is going to give? Right? So what is the help we're believing Jesus is going to do if we're asking him to make us less afraid and able to move more forward in faith in this thing? Here's where I'd like to start the journey. I'd like to start with us imagining Jesus in our workplace. Right? Um, I'm going to continue to use the word imagine here, but let me just say it. Jesus is not imaginary. <laughs> he actually is in your workplace, but your ability to perceive him is limited. So I'm going to use the word imagination to refer to your ability to perceive what is really already true about your work. Amen. Now, where was I? All right. Jesus is at your job. He is at your school. He is at your circle of relationships. When you go to pick up your kids from soccer, Jesus is there already. It is in his nature to be present in all places at all times. It's part of him being God. Now, our imagination is an ability for us to perceive things that are beyond our perception. Right? That's how we think up new things to sell on social media. Right. So this is us engaging with something that is true about God and perceiving it. Amen? So 
Jesus is present, he is caring, and he is full of purpose. So when we begin to picture what it's like for Jesus to be in those places, we're not imagining, um, we're not imagining a Jesus that is shaming us into one thing or another, right? Because here's the thing. Um, we're talking about unashamed. It's like, if you're picturing Jesus, like, coming into your cubicle setup and being like, coming over by your coworker and being like, well, well, here he is. <clears throat> what are you going to do? Okay. You know, is that Jesus? You know, putting his hands on his hips and, like, leaning over and being like, well, aren't you going to do something to make this person be in my kingdom? Right? Is that how we're picturing this works? Is it? You know? You know, like, you know, like, again, I don't know why it's all about moms and middle schoolers, but, like, did you write a thank you card to your auntie? You know, like, like oh, no, I forgot. Well, you know, here's the pen and paper. Um, is that how we're imagining Jesus looks at our workplace? Is that how we imagine Jesus engaging with the process of us helping our, co- helping our coworkers, helping our friends and neighbors to know him? Um, and I'm going to come back to that picture again in a little bit. Now. Last week, Mark talked about laying down our lives, right? It's related to this Luke 9, 26 idea. It's about laying down our lives. And one of the things he touched on, and that was a hard message, but one of the things he touched on was this concept of laying down your reputation, laying down your reputation. How other people perceive you, whether they honor you, whether they speak well about you behind your back, right? It's something that Jesus is actually, like, actually asking you to let die or let go of in your life sometimes. Because we have this idea that our reputation is really important because if we have a good reputation and people associate with associate us with Jesus, then that's going to help Jesus, right? There's a certain kind of A plus B logic to that. But Jesus specifically, <laughs> Jesus seems to be saying pretty specifically, if we try to play defense on our reputation, if we try to play defense on being liked and respected by other people, instead of just giving ourselves to boldly living out the Christian life where we are, we're going to be missing out. But he says that whoever lays down their life, right, whoever loses his life will find it. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. And that's true in the area of our reputation um, and how we're perceived by other people. All right. So. The spiritual dimension, receiving help from God, spiritual help from God to be less afraid and to deal with the moments of being afraid and intimidated in the big wide world trying to live publicly for Jesus. Um, One dimension of this spiritual help that we're asking God for um, boils down to this idea of like, is the process of sharing, sharing the promise of Jesus with other people, the process of um, the process of, of living publicly for Christ, is it an act of willpower or is it something that God does? That's a spiritual question, isn't it? If it's an act of willpower, we just really need to show up on this thing. You know, you just need to put it on your calendar. You just need to put it in your, you know, your, your goals and your metrics and you just need to take action, show up for this thing. But if it's a spiritual thing, then it's not so straightforward, is it? Right? You can't just start at A and work your way through down to Z and arrive at it. Um, and I, and I want to say here, like, and I want to say this in a tender way, that if we are relying primarily on our willpower to
to be something great for God. It's going gonna, it's gonna to wear us out. And we're going to find ourselves more and more drained, more and more discouraged, more and more worn out. Now, I'm not saying that the Christian life does not engage our willpower. It's just called being disciplined. So our, our willpower is engaged, but at the end of the day, we need help. We need help from Jesus. Right? So we talked about Jesus already being present in all these relationships. It's about stepping into what God is already doing, that our willpower would be engaged in knowing God, where he is active, already in the place where we interact with the world. Amen. Right? So it's not the hands on the hips Jesus who's like, well, what are you going to do something with your coworker here? It's, it's believing like, like you come in the cubicle space, and Jesus isn't like looking at you being like, what are you going to do for me? He's in the cubicle already with that person. Amen? Can you believe that God already desires and actively pursues every single person he has made? Right? Isn't there a story in your life where God put people around you so that you could know the good news about Jesus? Where you are, the, you are the supporting cast in the story God is writing about somebody around you right now. Amen? It's becoming aware of that through spiritual means is, is, a, is the spiritual aspect of getting over the fear of man and being released uh, into the power of God for the soul. Amen? Um, and I just want to I just want to say one more thing here. We're talking about the spiritual reality of being fe- free of fear, uh, fear of other people's opinions. Um, we sang that song today. You know, there's power in the name of Jesus. Like, I don't know, I don't know the best way to explain this. It is not metaphorical power. Okay, it's not idea power. It's not like culture war power. Okay, it's not political power. But there's actual power when you speak the name of Jesus, actual spiritual power that is real in the real world, right? When you say the name of Jesus, things literally respond to you in the spirit, okay? Try it, okay? I'm I'm encouraging you to imagine Jesus being in all these different spheres. Try bringing the actual name of Jesus into these spheres, all right? Some point during this week, you are going to open up your laptop and do work, whatever it is that you do in your laptop at work, right? Try just saying the name of Jesus out loud. Just it's an experiment, right? Some of you do experiments for a living. Open up your laptop. When you do, be like, I'm just going to say, I'm going to look around. Jesus. Right? As weird as that sounds, it matters. It matters, Right? Now, just at a basic level, see, I don't know why everything has to come back to the middle school mom again. But at the basic level, right, what is it to honor this person who's showing up? Mama, oh, I see you. You're here. Just the name alone, right? We're honoring Jesus just by saying his name, right? That's our response. But the second piece of it is, like, literally, the name of Jesus is a, is a key that unlocks doors, right? You know, the Bible says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever is, right? This is part of our inheritance as Christians. And speaking the name of Jesus out loud 
releases real power um, for him to be honored in the world around us. Amen. All right. All right. So the fear of man, right? Uh, let's look at a Bible example of some people who are pretty seriously, legit, terrified out of their minds. Um, <laughs> this is from Acts chapter 4. Uh, the NIV does not have the chapter heading, Apostles Terrified. Um, but they didn't ask me before they wrote those headings. Um, all right, so the background for this passage um, is that, so Jesus has died, he's risen again, he's met with his disciples, and he's gone up into heaven, and they're in Jerusalem. They'd been going every single day to the temple. That was their deal. Like Every day we go to the temple, we worship and pray. That's a pretty good game plan. Uh, after some days of that, uh, on their way in, they see this man who's uh, disabled, and Peter and John pray for this man, and he's miraculously healed. And this man who has been miraculously healed was 40 years old, and for his whole life, at least according to the story, his whole life he had been disabled in this way, right? And it's not just like a, huh, look at that. It's a mob scene, right? People are really, uh, they're really, like, responding to this. Some of them angry, some of them delighted. Everybody wants to see what happens. And the mob scene gets so bad that they're basically arrested and brought before the, the, the Jewish religious police court. Okay, it's called the Sanhedrin. It's a big deal to get brought before the Sanhedrin. Bigger context, this is the body of politics. This is the body politic that sentenced Jesus to death. All right? You want to talk about the fear of man? <laughs> right? You've been brought before the same people who just sentenced Jesus to death a month earlier-ish. Um, right? and, and also, too, we talk about losing your reputation. Gee, it does not get any worse than this to be publicly put on trial in front of the Sanhedrin. So everything is at stake for the disciples. And uh, when I imagine being them, they are very seriously scared, okay? So I'm going to read the text here, um, and we'll see what it is they do that releases spiritual power to live boldly for Jesus in this moment in their life. Okay, so after further threats, they let them go. This is the Sanhedrin releasing John and Peter. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. That's politics for you. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now, it's interesting. I actually have been at some of these reunion parties, right? Somebody gets arrested. They're questioned by the police for something Christian that they did, and then they're released. I went to one, and the, the guy's released from prison. He, like, comes back to a small group, and they're like, oh, man, you should have done X, Y, and Z. Then you never would have been arrested. And he's like, oh, sorry, right? And I went to this other one where this guy gets released from being questioned by the police, and he comes in. They're like, we bought you lunch. Now you're a real Christian. Way to go. We're so proud of you. And what a difference that made, Okay. So that's a component of how this works in this, in this community, right? So they returned to their small group community and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Let's keep going. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, isn't that a significant thing that they did, right? When they got really, really scared of real-world consequence. This was not a Twitter mob. It was a mob mob, okay? They are really seriously afraid. 
Their response is they gathered in prayer together, raising their voices. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? This is from Psalm 2. Keep going. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, let me just stop here for a minute. That's kind of a long interlude in this prayer. Why are they talking about Pontius Pilate and all this stuff that happened like a month ago? The reason they're rehashing all of this in their prayer is because what it says, at least what it seems to say to me, is that they believe that God is already there, already working, already involved in the circumstance, right? The stuff that happened with Pontius Pilate, the stuff that happened with Herod, the threats of the Sanhedrin that they just heard a couple hours ago, at least in the context of this prayer, the prayer is saying, Jesus, we believe you are involved right now in this thing, that you are present, that you have a plan, and that you're doing something. Now, check out the prayer. Now, this is the actual intercession, what they're asking Jesus to do. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, check out what happens. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Pause. Now, do we just see them sort of stirring up their own willpower to make something happen? Is that what this prayer meeting is about? Is that their response to being questioned by the Sanhedrin, right? They're basically like on parole, okay? They did not have a willpower solution to this thing. The first thing they did was to pray, and they prayed with the assumption that God was already doing something right where they were. And the earth shook. There was something about this prayer that very seriously captured the heart of God. The earth shook. And not only did the earth shake, but God actually answered the thing that they were asking for. They asked for great boldness, and God released more of the Holy Spirit, and they did become more bold, right? Like, on one dimension, we're asking for boldness, and the solution is for God to give us more of his Holy Spirit, and that's what releases boldness for us. It releases more faith for us. And that was a spiritual response, right? They had a practical problem. The Sanhedrin commanded them never again to speak about Jesus. And God had a spiritual solution to that practical problem. The spiritual solution was releasing more of the Holy Spirit um, and giving them a spirit of boldness and releasing miracles, signs, and wonders to be done uh, in the name of Jesus. So that's us today, right? Now, that's, so we went to the abstract layer 
we went to the Bible layer. And now let me just tell you a story from my own life where I actually saw somebody do this once. <laughs> um, so we're going to have to go way back. Um, um, so it's not a middle school story, but this is a story of me in my early years of high school. Um, when I was in high school, I was in a punk ska band, which was really a cool thing back in 1998. Um, and the punk ska scene in my hometown was huge. It was like 100 kids that would come to these like punk ska shows that we would have at this park where you could rent out these little pavilions. And, um, and that's like what we would do. Like as soon as the weather got nice, it was punk ska shows every weekend. And um, there was this guy, this like 35-year-old, six-foot-four lineback-looking guy. I mean, he dressed out of the L.L. Bean catalog. Uh, and his name was Chad. And, uh, and Chad had felt like God said to, to reach lost high schoolers for Christ in our hometown. And, um, and so Chad was like a real estate agent. So he like legit showed up in like a polo shirt with like the mascot over the top. It was like unreal. All right. And he's showing up. And uh, Chad, Chad really believed that Jesus intended to reach kids in our like punk ska cohort. And so he would come to these punk ska shows, right? So he knew about them because my parents knew him, and he knew my sister, and he knew that there was these shows happening. So he'd show up dressed like this, <laughs> and he would just be there. Okay? He's, he's not got any reputation to trade on. He's not somebody in that place, but he would just show up over and over and over again. And he didn't just show up. He showed up and believed that God was working. Do you guys see the two critical things happening? It wasn't just a willpower thing. He was showing up, and he really believed that God was working. And the result of it, man, to this day, I'm, I like, this is so crazy. Um, he did not fit in. He was not welcomed by these punk kids. <laughs> and, um, and they they prayed, and it was just amazing to see just the simplest things remembering these kids' names, asking how they're doing, and just the gradual process, getting to know what their family life was like, really praying for them, and then following up on the prayers he had really prayed for them. These guys began to get so soft. I mean, these, these tattooed, pierced up, like, you know, they weren't just singing punk songs. They were living out punk songs. And they became, they started to become so soft as Chad really invested in their lives. Because it was clear that he really believed that God loved them and was doing something with them. And within a year or two, three or four of these guys had decided to follow Jesus. And these were guys that I just thought, man, these are guys who are just going to end up in the worst case scenarios of life. And they went to summer camp. I, can't, I just can't believe this. They went to Christian summer camp with Chad and his wife, Christy. And... Um, and that's an example of the kind of thing that can happen, right? If we're willing to show up, if we're willing to believe that Jesus is already working in the circle of relationships around us, God can make anything happen. Amen. We don't have to. We don't have to be perfectly adaptable. You know, we actually didn't require um, Chad to change the way that he dressed or to be different than he was. It just required him to show up and to believe that God was already working. Amen. So I'm going to invite the band to come up. Um, and that's our response to this thing too. Right? 
Showing up might be easy. You probably have to show up at your job. Showing up might be easy. You probably have to pick up your kid from school every day. That might not even be optional for you. Actually, some of you do have jobs where it's optional to show up. I'm sorry. That's weird. <laughs> um, but those are the things we're doing, right? We're showing up in the world that God has given us to be a part of, and we're believing that Jesus is already at work, right? And what does it mean to believe that Jesus is already at work? Some of it's faith, but some of it you might need to exercise your God-given imagination. You might need this morning, as we begin to respond to God, to imagine, God, where are you? Where can I imagine you active in my workplace? Where can I imagine you doing something on purpose in the lives of the people around me? Same for your family, right? Your extended family, you know all about them. Can you imagine it? The loving person of Jesus being there and doing something. I'm not going to tell you what you should imagine him doing because I don't know. Jesus is Jesus. It's in his nature to want to show you where he is at work and what he is doing. And bold, bold proclamation, bold preaching, bold reaching people with the gospel, it looks like figuring out what Jesus is already doing and just showing up right in that place. And it doesn't mean saying a lot. Sometimes just saying the name of Jesus out loud will unlock things in the world around you. Amen. All right, why don't you guys stand up? Um, So we've talked about the fear of man, right? This fear of other people's opinions. Uh, I have, I have some, I have a little bit of faith this morning that God is going to actually break that off. So there's a, such a thing as a spiritual stronghold. This is like a spiritual thing that's going on in your life. You just can't seem to climb out from under. If fear of other people's opinions is a stronghold in your life, I want you to meet me over here in this carpeted area on the left. That's my left. Okay. If that's you, if you're like, hey, this, this fear of other people's opinions is holding me back in all kinds of places in my life, I want you to come forward, and we're going to pray together. I'm not going to yell at you on the microphone. We're just going to pray together and invite the Spirit of God to come and help. Amen? And for the rest of us, there's a place this morning. Um, <laughs> this is such a silly response point. But as I was working on my sermon, my, my five-year-old son comes in. He's like, Daddy, what you working on? I was like, I'm writing a sermon. He's like, what's it about? It's about not being afraid of people. It's like, can I help? I was like, I don't know. Sure. What do you think? He said, oh, when you're afraid, you're supposed to just say, Jesus, help me. And then Jesus will say, okay, I will help you. Now, <laughs> he got off my lap and he went to go play Legos. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> right? But can you receive that this morning? Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Okay, I will help you. But just receive that this morning, okay? That's a prayer for you. All right, the second thing here is receiving the gift of evangelism, right? Now, some people, the gift of evangelism is a box you put other people in so that you yourself feel like you never must do anything related to Jesus. That's not a thing, okay? The gift of evangelism is a real spiritual gift, right? The, the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit and walked out in boldness. Something in that is the gift of evangelism. If you've always wondered what it was, if you've always wished that you had it, gifts are given when we ask. Get somebody this morning to pray for you to receive the gift of evangelism. Amen? If you don't know what it is, ask somebody to pray for you, and maybe you'll find out right away. All right? All right. 
And for everybody else, where is Jesus working in the circles and relationships of your life? Where is he active? What is he doing? Engage your imagination. Close your eyes in this worship place and learn to picture it. Amen? So again, if you're wanting to break up the, this spirit of fear, come on up here and I'd love to pray with you. Amen.